oh, that was perfect. And she's like, that oh, was horrible. I warned you of this. An unlicensed vehicle just crashed, potentially threatening the Taurus, all because of your inability to act. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Style Guide with your hosts, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing really good today, Steve-O. I'm really, I'm really good. You're really good? Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, as always, looking forward to talking to you again about another one fantastic actor. Yeah, the the actor profiles are. I mean, I I think we've said this before, but they're they're a lot of fun. They're a, they're a different kind of way of looking at films, and I'm I'm really enjoying every one that we study. Yeah, and I got to say, Jodie Foster has been a wonderful actor profile for me. <laughs> like you, watch, you've really watching the it. films, the films that I watched through this week were so varied and fun. She's got a lot of diversity as an actress, which I. I didn't I didn't expect going into it, but I, I guess I should have because she's done a bunch of different kinds of films. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to start right away. I'm going to say it. What a pleasure pleasure to watch. Yeah. I I I think that Jodie Foster is, and, and in some ways she comes from being a child actress, and so she's been more embedded in, in that world uh, for a long time, but she she seems like she just takes roles that she wants to do because she thinks they'd be enjoyable. Yeah, as, yeah, as for sure. To, as opposed to acting on contract, uh, like like Nicolas Cage or Wesley Snipes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think uh, well, she she did made that she made that successful transition from child actor to actual actor, which a lot of child actors don't do very well. Yeah, and well, and it it strikes me as an almost impossible transition if you think about it. Like to go from being ten or eleven and making films and not really leading a normal life, and then you know somehow ending up in your twenties and and having to be an adult human being. That I I don't know how you'd do that through film. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. But was her parents were they actors as well? Were her I you know I I don't know. I don't think they were. Well, I, I recall sitting down to do some research on who she was, and she doesn't talk about her life. Like, I'm, I'm sure we, we know her family background and that sort of stuff. But she she's, a, she's somebody who doesn't want to live her private life in public. And um, in some ways, I think that that's a response to being a child actor, right? Mm, Where sure. she, she verily, very clearly marks her life into different areas. So... You're never going to confuse her for somebody like Angelina Jolie, who lives a life in public. Yeah, exactly. I I like that about Jodie Foster, uh, Jay Fosts, as as the kids call her. No kids call her that. Most kids go who? Who's Jodie Foster? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, Jodie Foster was a like she was like the actor, the female actor of like when I was growing up, as a, as a teenager, I guess, like the '90s. Jodie Foster was like that was her like prime like she hit so many awesome box office returns so you're you're talking like starting really with the silence of the lambs and working working i guess through to contact or anna and the king yeah i'd go as far as anna and the king uh i didn't want to rewatch anna and the king because i'd prefer the original <laughs> <laughs> the 1946 original anna and the king yeah well it wasn't called anna and the king it was called the king and i but you know, yeah, I, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> so I didn't want to watch it, so I just didn't. But, uh, yeah, so, like, she was, uh, Sons of the Lambs was, like, her big, uh, like, as far as I know, her big, like, breakout role as, a, as an adult. But then I remember Nell being the other huge one of the 90s that she was in. 
And I know it was huge because we used to make jokes that the punchline was Chickapay. <laughs> you, you know, the the more that I learn about your your uh, young adult life, the more I am fascinated by the the cultural touchstones that inspired you guys. I know, right? Like it's, it's weird, but but uh, Nell for some reason was like huge, huge like man mind share. It had it. It had all us teenagers. What does Nell order at McDonald's? I think was the joke. And then the punchline was cheeseburger, fries, cheeseburger, fries. Because <laughs> it sounds like chicken pay, chicken pay. Uh, uh, it was funny. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Jodie Foster was huge when I was growing up. But I don't know if kids today know who she is. I'm sure that they don't. And part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that she's she's slowly making, or not slowly, but she's been making that transition towards, you know, more directing and producing uh, her, her own work mm-hmm. instead of being on screen. Well, actually, you know what? I guess she did do like Panic Room recently, right? Uh, is that recent? That was like early, that was like two thousand and three. Mm, okay. What about the other uh, like uh, flight? Like plan? The, the airplane one? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that was also the early two thousands. She she had this brief career as a uh, Liam Neeson actually. Like she she it seemed like her and Liam Neeson followed a similar trajectory where they were going to do some actiony films. And I think the only one that really stood out was Inside Man with uh, that the charming, lovable Clive Owen. Mm, how was it? I didn't watch that one. Oh, Inside Man! Inside Man is a fantastic film. It's a it's a great little uh, crime drama. Sh- uh, crime drama. Denzel Washington is great in it. Clive Owen is great in it. Jodie Foster is good in it. It's uh, it's a good film. Check it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But it, it would be the best of her kind of more actiony oriented movies that I would say, except for Maverick, of course. Uh, yeah, Maverick, actiony movie. Um. <laughs> hey, come on, if Mad Max is in the leading role, it's got to be an action movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, because I, I don't think she's done a movie in a few years, and unfortunately, I think the last movie she made might be the reason why she decided to never do a movie again. You're talking, of course, about Elysium. <laughs> yeah, I watched Elysium. Yeah, uh, I I watched Elysium for the first time as part of our sci-fi uh, thriller episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I was sad then, but I couldn't share with you in my sadness. So you know, bring it on. Tell me, tell me about why Elysium made you sad. Dan. Well, I'm just saying, if I was Jodie Foster, and I watched Elysium, I wouldn't stop acting. Not because Jodie Foster's horrible in it or anything, but because she was like she she must have watched it and said to herself, uh, "This is what I've become. I am now acting in these kind of movies. What have I done?" And then now like retreat, start directing and producing, and just never act again. <laughs> you, you'd think think the same about Matt Damon too in that role, right? Like it is yeah. such a not Matt Damon film. Yeah, I mean, let's not talk too much about Elysium. Because that's <laughs> we're getting sidetracked here. <laughs> it's just a, it's a bad sci-fi. It's just a really bad. I don't know what was going on in that movie. I mean, I know what was going on, but I feel like the people who were making it had like twenty-five things that were going on, and they didn't want to throw any of them out. Yeah, they were like, we want them to have this exosuit, but we also want to have this planet where people get healthy and the rich are like living on Earth, and they try and get there, and they have machines where they can heal you. So. He's got to be get sick, so he has radiation poisoning. But he also has his exosuit. Uh, he also used to be a car thief, uh, and this is his old childhood friend. <laughs> and they have kind of a love story thing going on, and he promises something to her, and then this kid tells him a story, and so that's got to come back. And then the bad guy fights with a sword for some reason. 
and he also gets an exosuit. Like, what the heck was going on? That's that's true. What the heck is going on? It's the perfect description of that movie. And you know, the answer is Obamacare, man. Like, we man. need health care for everyone. But, uh, I mean, if they would have picked one thing, like, let's have the bad guy be Jodie Foster, the good guy be Matt Damon. Matt Damon gets an exosuit. He uses that to get to Elysium and beat the crap out of all the bad guys. Awesome. And then it, he kills Jodie Foster at the end. Because Jodie Foster deserved a much more, uh, spoiler alert, a much more epic death than the one she got. All, all around that film was just a bunch of poor choices. And Jodie Foster, it feels like she was told to play, play herself just over the top a little bit much. And have some weird accent, like Englishy uh, yeah. kind of accent, but then she spoke French. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that has to do with the the wonderful future they live in where the rich all go to Elysium and get free healthcare. Well, no, sorry, not free healthcare, but I don't know. It very confused movie. Uh, hard hard movie for us to to end on for for Jodie Foster. Yeah, so, so let's just get that out of the way. Elysium yeah, is a bad movie and I don't even want to call it a Jodie Foster film cuz Jodie Foster deserves more. Okay, okay, it's not even a Jodie Foster film. We're removing no. that from her from her oeuvre. Okay, so let's talk Jodie Foster. Now that we've got Elysium out of the way. <laughs> so, I forgot that she was a child actor. Like, hmm. I, 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 I guess I knew it intellectually, but it wasn't until I sat down to watch Taxi Driver this week uh, for the first time, which is shameful of me, but... I had forgotten that she was a, a very, very uh, young woman when she first got involved in acting. And yeah. and so was moderately shocked when she's 12 and a half years old playing a prostitute uh, to Robert De Niro's, you know, crazy taxi driver. Yeah. It, uh, it, was, it was off-putting to me uh, enough that I, I was... And, and I'd been waiting for most of the film for Jodie Foster and... And it turns out she had shown up, you know, an hour prior and I had just forgotten. But mm-hmm. it it was a very off-putting, pu- putting, it, it was off-putting for me because I, 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 Jodie Foster is kind of ageless and timeless for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, she is always, well, she's, she's a petite woman. Like she's very small. And I really, you really notice it in something like Silence of the Lambs where they over, overemphasize how small a person she is. Yeah. So, like, she doesn't really age in, or hasn't aged in my eyes. And then I realized, oh, yeah, no, she was once 13. Yeah, she did Freaky Friday, too. Yeah, she did Freaky Friday. So mm-hmm. she she was once a a a girl, but I, I was just surprised to see her yeah, as, it was, as a girl. It was shocking to see a Jodie Foster like that. And it's almost like uh, you you might not even know it's Jodie Foster. Yeah. In Taxi Driver, if you didn't know it was Jodie Foster. Yeah. It. Yeah. Who's this young prostitute that uh, Robert De- Robert De Niro is talking to? And then at the end, you see the credits, and you go like, "What? That was Jodie Foster?" Uh, and then you go back and watch it again. Yeah, it is kind of neat though to see like uh, to see the the young, the Jodie Foster face on this young body, like and be like, "Whoa, that's Jodie. She looks so weird." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think I'm so she got I think an Academy Award nomination for that role, and which for me it points back to that whole uh, oh look a child was in a dramatic uh, movie this year we're going to give them a nomination for best actress or supporting actress or whatever it was that they they did at the time and she's not she's not bad in the film I wouldn't 
say she's bad, but in no way is that the kind of role where I'm like, oh yeah, Jodie Foster totally deserves a nomination for that. Oh, man, you hate child actors. Well, they're not. They're not good. Like, how, how could you be a child <laughs> actor and and be good at it? You haven't. You have had no life experiences at age twelve. Yeah. And you. How can you channel your life experiences into a role? How can you method act as a twelve year old? Like none of this. It's just our expectations are so low for child actors. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So you think Jodie Foster as a child actor was still terrible? You still hate her? Even, though, even though it's Jodie Foster, one of the best act- actors of our generation. See, this is, and, and we're, you know what? Let's just get into it now. I don't think that Jodie Foster is the best part of any film she's been in, except, no, I, I don't know if there's any film where I'd say Jodie Foster is the best part of that film. Which I no don't film. say. Not a single uh, one? I don't think so. So Matthew McConaughey was the best part of Contact? Is that what you're telling Con- me? The best part of Contact is the, the, the story. Contact is just a great, great film. Uh, I don't. But, but like my point is that like I'm not saying that Jodie Foster is bad, but I'm saying that with some actors, when you watch them, you go, oh, they're the reason to watch this film. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that there is any film with Jodie Foster in it where I would I would say that she's the reason to watch it. Yeah, and I you know what. So before we started this podcast, um, before we did this 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 uh, Jodie Foster episode, I would have totally agreed with you. Okay. If someone was like, "What do you think of Jodie Foster?" I'd be like, "Ah, eh, she's good." And because just like you said, there's no where there's no role that she where she like stole the show. You know, no like there's no like uh, Iron Man. For Jodie Foster, or there's no. Uh, that, that was Elysium, <laughs> Dave. Elysium was her Iron Man. <laughs> oh man, no, don't say that. Like, there's no like Goodwill Hunting that Jodie Foster was in, where she like nailed it and blew everybody away. And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, in, in, at least in my mind of thinking of Jodie Foster, but then when I watched the movies that she was in, I was just I and I was watching specifically her. I found myself admiring how great of an actor she actually is. And that she's such a good actor that she kind of disappears into the role and into the story. And I think that's why she's so good. Like, I think I wrote down, like, Plain Jane should be called Plain Jody. Yes. Because she plays the perfect, just, like, normal woman. Like, just plain woman in an extraordinary situation. Uh, and she plays, she acts, she emotes, she she shows her feelings in such great ways that you start. You don't even think that she's like acting the shit out of it, you know. Like she doesn't have any Oscar moments where, like, you know, like they're crying on their knees and pounding the pavement, and then that's the reason they got the Oscar. Like she, she does. She never did a Revenant uh, because uh, she. That's not the kind of actor she is. She doesn't want to. She's not trying to like show how great she can act. She just wants to do a great film and be a part of a great thing and act greatly in it. And that's that's what I thought watching it. So I think she is one of the greatest actors of our generation. She just hasn't uh, done anything with a bunch of bad actors so that she looks really good. Well, and I guess that's kind of... kind of uh, Except for maybe Contact. Except for maybe contact. Yeah. Oh, poor, poor McConaughey. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I guess that's part of it. Like, Silence of the Lambs is a great film. And everyone in that film put makes it great, including her. But she she's not the best part of that movie. And but but I think you're right when you point to kind of this, the way that she just kind of falls into this 
every every woman is is maybe the wrong phrase for it, but it it kind of works. She's just she's there in the role as as a human being that we would expect. And, and well, yeah, and and she's not. You would never use the word sexy to talk about Jodie Foster. Yeah, she doesn't get sexed up. No. Yeah, you might use the word, uh, you might say she's beautiful Mm -hmm. or something like that, but you would never say she's sexy and she's super attractive or anything like that. She's just a nice looking person. She's never being used to sell the movie in that sex way, which um, unfortunately often happens to to women. She's being used to sell the movie because she's just in the movie and she's going to be good in it. And the character is what sells the movie, I guess. Well, and it, I mean, Contact is a good example where McConaughey is is selling that in as sexy McConaughey, right? Yeah. Um, and and a good contrast with her, who plays plays a much more down to earth, uh, more human character than than McConaughey's ruggedly handsome uh, character. Yeah. So anyway, Signs of the Lambs, great film. Yeah. Uh, and you say she that everyone does great in that film. I don't know about everyone doing great. I mean. Jodie Foster does great in that movie, and Anthony Hopkins is clearly the reason you want to watch that movie. Yeah. Because Hannibal Lecter is uh, one of the most, uh, I'm going to say, fascinating and uh, brilliant characters ever written into a movie. One of, have, one of. Have you read the books ever? I've never read the books. No. Okay, okay. I I think he's as good in the books as he is uh, on screen. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Uh, so that's what I mean. The character of Hannibal Lecter is just etched into our minds forever now. Mm-hmm. But when you think of him, uh, Hannibal Lecter, you do think of uh, Anthony Hopkins as um, fava beans kind of grossness. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's absolutely right. So, but you're pointing to maybe other roles in that, like like uh, Scott Glenn playing Jack Crawford. Or yeah, I mean he was fine. Yeah, who 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 are you? But he didn't he he didn't like blow me out of the water, right? This yeah. is what I mean. Okay. Like I don't think everyone else in that movie acted uh, the hell out of it. I think uh, Jody and Anthony were amazing. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. I think uh, the guy who plays Buffalo Bill did a very very good job playing a very different type of crazy than Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, sure, but like you know, yeah, you know, he's not he's not. That's not why you watch the movie. No, no, it's not like he's acting chops are so top notch. So, yeah, watching Sons of Lambs, though, was definitely where I was like, um, uh, I was like, damn, Jodie Foster's a good actor. Like, that's all I kept thinking in scenes with her. I was like, she's doing really good in this movie. Like, wow, she really is. I I believe her. You know, does that like I, I just believe her that she's Clarice. Yeah, she she is entirely believable. You know, she plays this nervous young recruit who wants to be impressive and confident and knows that she's intelligent and she 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 does a bunch of things in that role really effectively often all at the same time and it's just like some of the, her best scenes come opposite anthony hopkins and so anthony hopkins is killing those scenes for me and jodie yeah. foster is doing exactly what you would expect her to do in that role um which is great like i i, I don't fault her any of that but when you're when you're comparing them side by side, it's like, oh yeah, Anthony Hopkins is killing it, and Jodie Foster is there. Oh, I don't know, man. I think Jodie Foster's killing it too in those scenes, and I think her killing it and doing as great as she's doing is what's helping make Anthony Hopkins look that much better. You know, that's probably true. I mean, I I think a lot about like the subtle reactions she has to, you know, his both his his kindnesses and his grotesqueness. And, and yeah. the way that she's able to play him really effectively. I think that there are a lot of 
uh, a lot of actors who would overplay that role. Uh, like, and she plays this perfect. Um, she's standing on the the line between uh, fear and confidence. You know, she is so afraid yeah. of Hannibal Lecter in those scenes, but she's also confident in herself and knows that she's smart. And she stands on that line, perfectly playing those scenes. In my opinion, like I'm like, wow, I she is terrified, but still trying to keep control. But she and she knows she can do this, but she's scared of this man and like all this. Like it's just, it's great. It's it's. I, I think she she's unbelievable. Hmm. I'm sorry. I think she's totally believable. <laughs> part part of uh, that film that's so fascinating is it's almost entirely close shots, like. The, the camera doesn't give you much room to breathe between the actor and the, the screen. Yeah. And so it really allows the actor to, to, to go at it. But it, it's the kind of thing that makes me, makes me wonder how well a Jodie Foster performance would translate to a stage versus uh, a screen, right? Like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Because I think that she does, the, she does a lot of things that w- work really effectively on camera that I can't imagine would work in in a big theater. And and I I mean in some ways like if that's the case that makes sense. She she was a child actor. She grew up on a screen, not on a stage like a lot of other actors. Like I think mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins comes from uh stage theater originally. And so his that and that performance of Hannibal Lecter would be at home on a on a stage. Sure, yeah. Um, but but there's not a film where where I would point to her as as a stage actor or as as. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. I I agree. I don't think she's. Much, I don't. I don't. I don't know if she's ever done any stage theater, but uh, I think she's a phenomenal actor. Hmm. Like like here's the thing. Like in our Julia Roberts uh, spectacular, that will go down in history as the day we realized we loved Julia Roberts. But anyway, um, <laughs> Julia Roberts. In every movie she's in, she's Julia Roberts, right? That's the, the she doesn't play characters. She's just Julia Roberts, and you like her because she's charismatic and charming, and you like Julia Roberts. But Jodie Foster, in every movie I watch her in, I'm, I, uh, I, she plays still believable, but a very different character. Like uh, the main character in Contact, whose name I'll never remember because it doesn't matter. Um, uh, and uh, Clarice from Silence of the Lambs are two totally different people. No, even though uh, Jodie Foster's playing both of them, they have and they might they both kind of have like a little bit of an accent, uh, like a, a t- where, where is she from? A Tennessee kind of accent. You know, I I can't recall Louisiana. I don't know some one like sort of southern state accent. She still kind of has that in both those characters, but they're totally different characters to me. Totally different people to me. Unlike you know. Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich, like they're the same person, <laughs> they're the same character to me. Uh, and so, like, yeah, that's where I, that's where I keep coming back to. She's just a phenomenal actor, and she just switches so well between these different characters. Uh, and then Nell as well, you know, like Nell is, I mean, it's her. Uh, what do you call it? Her her what's eating Gilbert Grape? Her, yeah. Uh, uh, her radio her pushing. Her what? Radio. Sure. Yeah. Her her Rain Man. Her Rain Man. Yeah. Um, her pushing herself as an actor to play someone in such a different, uh, uh, who has a different view of the world than a normal person would, I guess, is, is what, what you could call it. I mean, since you bring it up, I actually didn't enjoy Nell at all. I I think that her... Per- but hold on, wait. Yep. But her performance, though, as, as Jodie Foster playing the character of Nell, 
you might even forget it's Jodie Foster. I I think I would agree that I would forget it's Jodie Foster until I get a clean look at her face. Like they do yeah. they do a lot of shots where you can't clearly see her. And and once once you get to see her, you're like, right, this is definitely Jodie Foster playing an intense, uh, quote unquote, intense role. Mm-hmm. And and for me, it wasn't that it was bad. It was that it was nothing that I had. Uh, there there was nothing unexpected in the role. Like if you had told me the film was about this this idea of a wild child who was left in the woods after her mother died. Um, and Liam Neeson was, uh, you know, a kindly doctor who wanted to save her. Like, the movie plays exactly as I'd expect. None of the acting is particularly enthralling in that regard. There's no point in the film where I go, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that nuance to the role or see that, that coming. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the movie itself does not age very well. It, it looks like you're watching a 90s uh, I don't know, like epic movie, you know, like <laughs> that's what it feels like you're watching. It doesn't feel like you're watching a great film that's going to last forever and everyone's going to watch it 20 years from now and still be amazed by it. But watching it, if you watch it with that perspective of when it first came out in the 90s, it was a great film. Now you look back and you're like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and I think part of it for me is coming to it from a different perspective. I think it was one of those films that I would have seen uh, at some point in the 90s, uh, watching it with my parents, so, you know, sure. how, how much I paid attention to it, versus actually sitting down to watch it now. And it's like, it's, it's the kind of film that I wouldn't, I wouldn't watch today, uh, because it wasn't very good. It was a very predictable film. Yeah, and, and I feel yeah. like her role in that was predictable, not... Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's my, my frustration or difficulty calling her a great actor, is is just she does what I'd expect. And and there are lots of actors that don't do that and end up poorer for it. Like Nicolas Cage, for example. When he sure. when he does something unexpected, you're like, oh come on, Nikki. But <laughs> Nikki. Uh but 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 with Jodie Foster, it's you get exactly what you pay for, I feel like with her. And for mm-hmm. me to call someone a great actor, I want them to do I, I I want it to be unexpected. Like to get that A plus, you know, you have to do something novel. Mm-hmm. Like, would you consider Bruce Willis a great actor? Um, no. Yeah, because he does, ex- but he does exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, but he, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even call it like a good actor. Okay, well, he's a good actor. You know what I mean? But mm. on the rate of the actors we're talking about, like all, all of these actors are good actors. Yeah. But he is in the same part, ballpark to me as, as Julie Roberts, but I just like him because he's charismatic and charming. But he never does any, like, acting that makes me go, like, oh, man, Bruce Willis, he knows how to act. You know, like, even when he does those scenes where it's like, oh, man, Bruce Willis knows how to act, it feels like he's putting it on to get the, uh, like, to like he's he's acting like an actor. Okay. You know I mean? Whereas Jodie Foster, I never feel like she's acting like an actor. Like, she is just that character. Okay, and and yeah, and I and I don't I I don't think I disagree with that. Um, you just you just wouldn't call it a great actor unless they do something above and beyond what you expect and impress you. Yeah, I I, I want to be impressed when I see them in in a role, and not all the time. Uh, but I want to I want I want there to be that level of surprise where even even them as an actor uh, shocks me. And so I don't know. 
Yeah, and I say because I I I say uh, as a she's a great actor because when I watch her, I forget I'm watching her, and she disappears. Yep. And that to me is like that is the that is the true hard acting to do. You know, like uh, uh, it was our planet. Goddamn those filthy apes. You know, like Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes, <laughs> where he's like, quote unquote, acting. Yeah. It's like okay, wow, he's he's. She's really going for it. Whereas Jodie Foster, I never see her, and I'm like, oh man, she's she's really trying to make this scene epic. She never does that. She just acts. Okay, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. So Nell, you didn't like it. Well, it. Uh, I mean, part of it for me is uh, she she is secondary to Liam Neeson in that film, in which Liam Neeson is not good in that film. Yeah. For, like he's just he's he is Liam Neeson. Uh, like that's somebody who, if we ever do an actor profile, would be ten minutes long because it's just yeah. <laughs> Liam Neeson acts like Liam Neeson a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like an angry Irishman. Yeah, and he, oh. <laughs> he even says something along those lines in the movie. Yeah. And so, like opposite him, it's just hard to watch that film uh, overall. But she, like, there there are, there are portions of the film where you. You can see this, I, I don't know, it felt like it was a movie that wanted to be an Oscar movie, but but the material wasn't good enough, and everyone kind of yeah. recognized that when they were filming it. So she never throws it all the way to Rain Man. So it, it keeps it from going to that that almost silly place. But but at the same time, it just, it seemed, it seemed like it really wanted to be an Oscar-worthy movie. Yeah, definitely. And I think the movie itself was was like well, it hit everything it needed to hit to be an Oscar movie. But I don't think that takes away from Jodie Foster's performance. I thought she was amazing. Yeah. Cuz again, I believed her. I believed her. I was like, "Man, she's good." Cuz like any any film that ends with a courtroom scene where one character has to translate for another character, you know it's like, "Uh, this is a cheesy movie, but um, like this is a horribly epic happy ending at the end of this sad movie. Whereas nowadays, if that movie were made, she would probably die alone in the woods. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it would end with Liam Neeson driving away and someone saying like, what do you think? And he's like, well, I'll remember. And that's how it ends. Like some, some sort of super sad ending, but this went for like the super happy ending, which feels really cheesy and like a 90s blockbuster. So uh, so I agree that the movie itself does not hold up. But I think her performance is still good. I think she's good. I think she's good. I think she's great. And I agree with you in that I don't think that there's anyone else who could do that role as as well as she did. That's, I think, an important part of that film is the way that she plays that character. And almost any other actor would have would have done made it worse. So yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but it it's... It's very rare for uh, an actor to take a bad movie and make it make it okay with their performance, and I think I think that's one of the things that I struggle with in in watching Nell. And that it's like, ugh, this really isn't a great film, and and it's, so it's hard for it to say that any particular part of it would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, and I I uh, I have no problem making that distinction. I think Jodie Foster has been great in plenty of bad films. Well, if you're going to talk about Contact as a bad film, you might have to leave the podcast. Uh, no, I'm gonna let's talk about Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, here, here's the thing: is like of the movies that I ended up watching, I think only in Contact and uh, Contact and Sons of the Lambs was she like the main character. Yeah. And as you're saying, Sons of the Lambs, she like co-stars in that with Anthony Hopkins, really. 
Yeah. It's kind of like a buddy cop, but he's in a psych ward the whole time. Okay. Uh, and another thing about Silence of the Lambs that, again, I think Jodie Foster made that movie so great uh, was that she, again, perfectly not only bounced on this line between fear and confidence when talking with Handel Lecter, but the whole movie, she was perfectly balanced on uh, victim and hero, where she kept looking and coming across like she was a victim in almost every situation she was in, whether it's Hannibal Lecter manipulating her or the FBI, uh, uh, what's the dude that hires her? Uh, the Jack Crawford. Crawford, yep. Yeah, Crawford, whether it's Crawford who is like, you know, like uh, manipulating her as this student and not giving her all this information to do stuff or whether it's just all the other men that you see in the film who are like ogling her the whole time uh, or when she's fighting the serial killer guy at the end, right? Like like she's a victim in all the situations, but she's also our hero and protagonist and wins most of those situations, right? And she perfectly plays that that balance to me that the whole time I like feel for her as a victim but I'm also rooting for her as a hero and I and I I'm excited to watch what she does. Well, and I mean, this I don't know if this will surprise you, but she she replaced Michelle Pfeiffer in, in that role. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer doesn't have the acting chops to play that role. Not even remotely. And and that's that's the thing about that film where it does it does require somebody who can act well, certainly. So I I don't I don't disagree. Yeah, and so that's that's why I think as an actor, she's great because Michelle Pfeiffer could not play that role. Like, uh, you know, who, you know, the only only other person that could play that role, Ju- Julia Roberts. Nope, nope, <laughs> no. The only other person that has the acting chops, so uh, in in modern day, modern day, if they remade Silence of the Lambs, it would have to be an actor that everything she touches is gold. The incomparable Anne Hathaway. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Anne Hathaway. You knew it, right? You you saw that coming. I I did. I I disagree vehemently uh with that statement <laughs> i well no actually, i mean i'm not sure if you've said something on this podcast that i have disagreed with more than that <laughs> statement hey man watch lame is a rabbit you will cry your face off <laughs> okay anne hathaway could play it. but again the reason anne hathaway couldn't play it so there's a reason she couldn't play it is she's quote unquote too sexy yeah, the thing that makes Jodie Foster perfect in that role is that she has the acting chops to pull it off, and she is uh, plain enough that when men are ogling her, you're like, oh, come on, guys. Like, like she's not playing like a super sexy character that even warrants ogling. She's just playing a person, and she's still getting ogled, and that's what makes that all feel even worse. Am I pronouncing ogle right? Yeah, no, that's. I think it. I think you're ogling someone, not ogling someone. <laughs> well, all those men that are oogling her in that film. <laughs> ogle rhymes with yodel. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, I so I think I think that's why I don't think I, I think because the fact that no one else could play that role is is uh, is cutting Jodie Foster short in saying that the reason that Anthony Hopkins outacts her in that movie because I don't think he does. I don't think he outacts her at all. Oh, I I think Anthony Hopkins' performance in that film is is better than hers for sure. I and, and not I can I could replace Anthony Hopkins in that role. Who could you replace Mads but Mikkelsen I think he, from? He, he could be replaced in that role by another great actor who could play the role of Hannibal Lecter well, differently, mind you, but well. Whereas I can't, I think it'd be harder to replace Jodie Foster in that role. Hmm. You know, because like playing a creepy, scary serial killer who's like calm and very smart, you know, like 
that role has been played by people in the past before, you know, like what's his name in Sherlock, BBC playing Moriarty, you know, like, you know, it's just as creepy of a crazy evil villain. Uh, but to play the hero that she plays, I think is way, way more difficult. I think one of the things that you're pointing to with that is the lack, the, the lack of women who are like Jodie Foster in Hollywood. To be a successful female actor in Hollywood, you you almost have to be sexy. Sure, yeah. Like that's I mean we've t- we've talked about how that's that's one of the things that that puts a put, that, that is the case for a lot of women. Either you have to be sexy yeah. or the, you have to be the unbelievably sexism, funny. The, the sexism of Hollywood, yeah. Yeah. And so Jodie Foster, who again, I think you're right to describe her as a beautiful woman, but would never fit into the sexy role. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I think that's rare. I think you're right to point out how rare that is, which I don't. I, I don't want to say as a as a slight on her acting. That is a slight on her acting. It's not what I mean. But it's just, it's so rare for a a woman to rise to such a prominent role in Hollywood, and and not be, you know, as beautiful as Scarlett Johansson or Angelina Jolie or Michelle Pfeiffer. Right? These sorts of uh, very sexy women who, who would be very wrong for this role, mm-hmm. and so, I, I I'm not sure if pointing to the fact that it would be harder to replace her it justifies her greatness in this role, um, because I think that part of the reason it would be difficult to replace her is the way that Hollywood works, and and not necessarily just because of her performance. Well, I, I mean, again, though, I, I, I don't think the, the fact that the character, the sexiness of the character is what makes it replaceable or not. I don't think any other, I can't think of another actor who could play that role and just act it well enough. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying, uh, except for Anne Hathaway, <laughs> who is disqualified because she is too sexy. <laughs> right, right. Everyone else is disqualified before they even get to whether or not they're too sexy. Like Scarlett Johansson, I don't think she could play that role. Either. No. She's too, too like either she's either too strong or too weepy. She can't find that balance right between the two of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right, and I, I do, I do see what you're saying. Uh, I, I just wonder if it's a, a lack of uh, talent problem that's in the public consciousness as opposed to uh, a greatness in her particularity. I don't know. Yeah, and I think you're, you're skewed towards Hannibal Lecter's acting in that film because the character of Hannibal Lecter is so cool and awesome. As we said before, like in the book, he's just as good a character. Yeah. Whereas, and so Anthony Hopkins bringing that character to life, as fantastic a job he does. He does a fantastic job. I think lots of people could find a way to make that character come to life fantastically. Whereas Clarice, I think, is a much harder character to to play and I think the fact that they both brought them to the same level just shows that Jodie Foster had to to really do amazing. Fair enough. Yeah. That's my that's my summation of Jodie Foster's amazement. Amazing. And Anthony Hopkins is pretty good. <laughs> he also played Odin. Well, yeah. But I mean <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about Anthony Hopkins. We're, we're not talking about Anthony Hopkins. Because like Mel Gibson also played Mad Max. Yeah, it's true. He was, he was, and that is not what made that movie good. <laughs> so speaking of uh, things that not making movies good, Contact. Contact. You think that movie was good for reasons other than Jodie Foster, even though Jodie Foster is great in it. I, I just think it's a lovely little story. 
it's it's a it's I think it's a fun film. I think it it's an interesting take on the the science fiction ish genre. Like it's a sci fi drama if you want to call it that, but. Um, the science fiction in that is pretty light. It's it's more just a straight up drama. Yeah, I would call it a, a almost like a what do you call a political film? A, political a film about drama? politics, a political drama, like an institutionalized kind of thing. Like it is. Yeah. It is. It is taking a look at how the scientific world works, and the politics involved in it, and that whole thing. And that's what it's really like. That's where the drama is. Because uh, the science fiction part is just sort of it's taken as a given. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's aliens. We find them. Yeah. yeah. And at the very end, she travels through a wormhole in a dream. In it, in a very 2001 kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not a dream. It really happened. Yeah, because because there was 18 hours of static on the on yeah. the camera. Yeah, which proves that it really recorded 18 hours of her on the other side of the universe. <laughs> so many questions so many questions but but yeah no I, I just i like the film and the story of the film and matthew mcconaughey and it doesn't detract from it and jodie foster is good in it I, I i don't disagree but i think that the best part of the film is carl sagan's story yeah i mean this like the story is pretty good the theme in it the themes of that movie are are pretty um i don't know uh exactly what i would expect from that movie and the acting in that movie i do think jodie foster was the best part of the acting and it's i heard it described best as interstellar but made better that's not an unfair description speaking of, was it anne hathaway and <laughs> no she wasn't in interstellar was she if she was it would have been a great movie um everything she touches is gold man Anne hathaway's never made a bad film Except for that Batman one. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I think Contact is a is a good movie. I think it's a good movie. But I think the best part of it, actually, to me, wasn't necessarily the story of it, but it was the direction of it. The direction by Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, I mean Robert Zemeckis, who uh, I enjoy as a director, uh, does does a fantastic job in that film. Like the uh, the use of there's that amazing shot in that movie when the mirror shot. When she, do you remember? Did you rewatch it this week? I didn't rewatch it this week. Um, so right when young Jodie Foster, the um, the actor who later turns up in Pride and Prejudice and The Hunger Games, is playing a child who finds her dad dead on the ground. The dad who also plays the alien at the end. Yep. And she freaks out and she like runs up the stairs and around the corner and then it goes into slow motion and she's running in slow motion and you watch her go up the stairs and around the corner and then all of a sudden the camera comes out of a mirror shot, whereas if it's just been showing the reflection of a mirror in a medicine cabinet, and then she opens the medicine cabinet and takes out the pills, hmm. which is an impossible shot. You cannot round a corner and then come out of a mirror reflection. That does not happen. That's, that's not possible. And when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is cool. Wow. Nice. Oh, wow, wow. We're actually in a mirror. And then if you think about it for a second, you're like, wait, how can a one shot come out of a mirror like that? That's impossible. And apparently it's totally impossible, and it was all uh, digitally put in afterwards. Of course it was. I'm gonna up, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's an amazing shot. But that shot, and I think the uh, like the, so many wonderful use of like of like uh, of like television and windows, and constantly going out through windows or seeing a television and going into the television, and lots of like going in through these like um, 
different windows and, and sort of, I guess, portals and wormholes into other dimensions and other places and sort of like jumping through time and space and stuff like that, which is sort of like what one of the main themes of the movie is. Uh, and I think the way the direction reflects that theme is so great about that film. I think that's what makes that film so great to me. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that that's an entirely fair uh, assessment yeah. of the film. Because the story of it is pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty simple. Uh, she hears aliens. They get they decode a message. They build a thing to go see the aliens. There's some sabotage. Sabotage. They, have sec- they, they happen to have a second one built, which felt like kind of a, a, a God in the machine moment. <laughs> like, And guess what? There's actually a second one. Uh, and then she goes across the space and nobody believes her. Hey, guess what, Dave? There was a second time turner, too. Yeah, there was. Let's not talk about the cursed child ever again. Um, <laughs> so I think, but I think, uh, yeah, I think that the context is a is a is a great film. But I don't think what made it great was necessarily the story, which is what I think you're trying to say about Carl Sagan. Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I it's it's a it's a it's a fun little story. Uh, but I but when you talk about Zemeckis's direction, I think you you make a compelling argument for why that's a a, a strong component of the film. And I, I, I agree with that too. I think that the Zemeckis nails the direction in that. Yeah, and I would say it goes in this order of what makes that movie great: Zemeckis is directing, Jodie Foster's acting, Carl Sagan's story, and the hilarity of Matthew McConaughey being in that film. <laughs> yeah, Matthew McConaughey, you, you playing a, a super cool like burnout. Priest. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't even know what I think of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Despite despite the McConaughey. Okay. Okay. And I assume you you'd order it a little differently. Well, I I think you you've convinced me that Zemeckis might be the best part of that film, but I I still love the story of it so much and and think that um, as far as a a science fictiony drama, I think that it's a great story and. And that comes out after Zemeckis, and then Jodie Foster, who is also good in that film, is there. Uh, and then there's you know, Fifty Feet of Crap, and then there's Matthew McConaughey at the bottom of that. <laughs> okay, we agree on Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and and I guess I guess for me it's just I don't when I watch Jodie Foster, even when I'm watching for Jodie Foster, I don't. I don't ever see her as the best part of what's going on. And maybe that's because she's so she's so in her role and and Jodie Foster disappears that I'm I kind of forget that I'm I'm watching it, but it I just I don't know. I I I'm I'm not I'm not at that point where I watch a film with her in it and I'm just compelled by her. Yeah. This is this is what uh this is why I think she is so great. Is that she never steals a movie, even movies that she's the lead role in. Mm-hmm. She never takes the focus and attention off of the work itself. Yeah, to the, to the point that you're like, oh man, Jodie Foster, she's so good. She's that's the reason to watch the movie. But she does, and she does such a great job that you can focus on everything else in the film. Because I don't think I don't think you could say that Sansa Lambs is great because of the story and Anthony Hopkins' performance, and that Jodie Foster is like, man, I, she was not good in that movie, right? You can't say she was not good, no. But and you can't say she was just okay or all right because I think like she was so great that it gave you the ability like that that you were like, oh, okay, she's great, nice. Let's watch everything else. 
you know, like. And to your credit, like Silence of the Lambs, like I can talk about Anthony Hopkins being great in that film. He's maybe 15 minutes of the film. Like he's. Oh, he's he's more than that, man. He's he, more than that. Well, I mean, there, for the first maybe hour of the movie, he has maybe the one scene. He is definitely secondary to Jodie Foster uh, in screen time. Maybe, yeah. may, maybe even uh, the the third ring when you compare, uh, probably not to Jack Crawford or something like that. But he's he's not on the screen as much as you would think, considering how how much we talk about his performance in that role. So it it is to to I think your point that Jodie Foster is able to to ground that film for so long, even even if we want to talk about Anthony Hopkins' great performance. I don't I don't entirely disagree. Because because Jodie Foster carries that movie. Yeah. Right. And and there are a lot of other great things that happen in that film cinematically and, and stuff and with other I mean the other actors are all fine, but but Jodie Foster carries that movie uh, to the scenes with Anthony Hopkins in it. Uh, and if it was an actress that could not carry that movie, that movie would have been not good. Because you would have spent so much time watching someone that you're like, oh, this person's not very good. Yeah. And then you would have gone, Anthony Hopkins was good in that film. But otherwise, Silence of the Lambs isn't that great. Uh, whereas, because Jodie Foster is so great, I think, I think we end up accrediting her greatness to other things. That's what I'm trying to say about Jodie Foster. Hmm. Is that we we overlook how great she made that movie because she kind of disappears into it and allow and and, and like you know is the tide that raises all other boats. I, I guess, I mean, it, it's not entirely that you and I are 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 in disagreement here. I think we're, we're we both have uh, a similar assessment to her her role in the films. It's for you that that shows how her her great skill as an act actor and for me for for me to talk about someone's great skill as an actor i want i want something more than that and and that might be coming from my from my bias towards like the really dramatic like leonardo dicaprio is searching for an oscar films or the denzel washington in training day where he's very clearly playing a role that is that is trying to show his skill as an actor or something like that I'm I'm wondering if that's what it is where I've got a bias towards what Hollywood wants me to see as a a strong actor. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, the bias between what Hollywood wants you to see as a star, a movie star. Hmm. Right? Cuz like the term movie star implies that every other actor in the film is not a star, <laughs> right? <laughs> Except for this one shining star which is brighter than everyone else. Yeah. And Jodie Foster manages to be a, a instead of a brightness that makes everyone else look dark, she's a brightness that lights everybody else up. You know, like she does such a good job at making uh, her character so full that it's like a gift to all the other actors to play with, which helps make them look better. Whereas someone like Denzel Washington, like shining so awesome that everyone else in the movie looks dim compared to him. You know, like she she has this way of of acting so great without stealing the focus I, I think that that's actually such a great way to put it and it makes me it, it makes me rethink the way that i watched movies with her this week uh, and in general i think that 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 does point to a kind of skill set that she has that is very different and and i think you're right even to point to how rare that skill set is yeah and the rarity of it is something that i think is what makes that makes it great 
like okay, so Maverick, right? She plays like the love interest to Mel Gibson's card player, and she plays like a sort of southern card cheat thief woman. That role, okay, we could have replaced Jodie Foster in that role with other people, and it would have been fine. But um, but she still does amazing in that role, uh, even though it's a little bit of a slapsticky, silly movie. And uh, but Sons of the Lambs, I don't think you could replace her. Contact, you could probably replace her. But but with who? I, yeah. I can't think of anyone else who could do it as well because she again is, has that plain Jodie Foster feel to her, um, where she can play. And I think maybe it's that those kind of roles. And I think the roles that she chooses to play are like. Because both Contact and Sounds of the Lambs is a woman in a man's profession. Right. Dealing with the sort of like sexism and polit- politics of of men's professions uh, and women trying to break through into them. And she plays that kind of, she can walk that line so well. And again, because in Contact, again, she is like the victim of all this political BS. But she's also this incredibly intelligent, confident scientist. And she plays both of those, and you believe that she is both of those things. You may have you may have convinced me of the error of my ways. Well, I mean, she's not a movie star, but she's a great effing actor. And 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 I, I think that that's a a a good way to put it. Yeah, that that was what blew my mind watching her. Is I was like, man, she's great, and she never gets this like star credit for it. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm and I'm happy watching films with her in it. Like I'm, I've never, I'm never at this point where I'm like, oh, great, Jodie Foster shows up. It's not a Nicolas Cage moment for me, but yeah. it, it isn't, it isn't that I'm going to tell you you have to go see this movie because of Jodie Foster, as opposed to um, say, like if I told you you had to go watch Inglorious Bastards or because it has it, because Christoph Waltz is Waltz is amazing in it. Like, yeah. that's the kind of thing that I would say about a Christoph Waltz uh, performance. Um, or even, like, you have to watch The Wolf of Wall Street because DiCaprio blows my mind in it. Yeah. Th- those are the sorts of things where I look to, um, w- when, when, I, when I recommend a movie based on an actor, that's, that's how I do it, based on their performance there. I'm never going to do that for Jodie Foster, which isn't a slam against her. It's, it, it, it's more that she is reliable and grounds a film really well but her performance isn't the kind of thing that you're going to necessarily point to unless you're looking for it for it like you were this week yeah and sometimes she doesn't pull it off like maverick she can only do so much um she wasn't the main role yeah (laughs) she tried though she tried she tried elysium elysium nothing nothing could have saved elysium Uh, and editing severe severe editing taking that into a 10 minute short maybe oh man but it does make me realize the director of that film uh he just got lucky with district nine That's he really well you know he did he did this uh what i can't remember what it's called i want to call it wally but it's not another one about this robot that has feelings and i don't know i just i i'm so disappointed that he he did not turn out to be an incredible director screenwriter yeah, but it did make me realize, like, looking back on District 9, the that, again, like, I don't really remember the narrative of that film at all. Because I don't think it's very good. It's like a guy starts turning into an alien or something like that. Is that what happens? Yeah. 
well, and the thing about District Nine is it's two separate movies. Like the first half of it is uh, is this science fiction kind of thriller, kind of drama that takes place in a speculative future where we're supposed to just follow this character, and then the second half of it is just an action movie, straight through and through, where he develops yeah. superpowers and. Like that's why Elysium. Like you see the same thing with Elysium, only more poorly done. So, yeah. Well, in District Nine, the thing that I remember liking about that film was was how cool the the uh, the, uh, the concept of like the concept of like a a ghetto for aliens. Yeah, you know, uh, it was kind of this cool little they're refugees and we throw them in this camp kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but not actually the story of the film. Uh, and Elysium is almost the same way, except the idea was not as strong. Yeah, and, uh, and Jodie Foster unfortunately could not do enough to raise that film because she was hardly in it, really. Yeah, she was a waste. She, he was she was a wasted uh, bad guy. And I don't I don't really believe Jodie Foster as a malicious villain, right? And and there yeah. was she had to be malicious in that role, and it that's not it, it. I mean, and and part of this is the Hollywoodification of evil, but like I don't. I don't see Jodie Foster as evil. Like I, I, I don't know how she could be. Um, she, she has a much more human quality to her. It was, it was just a horribly written character and a horror, horribly written script. And I feel like she agreed to it, was in it, and then the director was telling her to do stuff, and she was like, "Really? You want me to do that? Are you serious? Do I have to?" And he's like, "Yes." And she's like, "Okay." And then she'd be like, "Destroy them." He's like, "More accent." Ugh. <laughs> destroy them oh that was perfect and she's like that was horrible like she knew she was in a bad movie she knew she must have known she's too good to know that that was not a bad movie yeah well i don't yeah that film so many questions but we don't need to continue hating elysium no but we uh but i will continue loving jodie foster because uh and i'm actually i'm glad we did jodie foster as an actor profile because i would never have I would have never learned to really appreciate how amazing she is without actually like watching just for her performance. Um, because like I was saying, she, she's a star that makes everything brighter. She, she blends in and makes the movie so great and you don't even realize she's doing it. Like she's a magician, you know, uh, that, 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 so I'm so glad we actually got to watch this and I'm actually going to go out and watch some of the rest of these Jodie Foster movies. I didn't get around to watching. Yeah. Check, check on inside man. I think that, uh, aside from being a Jodie Foster film, it's also just a good film. But she she puts on an uh, an interesting performance as somebody who is ostensibly a villain, but not really the villain. Like it's it's mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great role for her, where she shows what a what the kind of character that you saw in Elysium could and maybe should be. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And um, one last thing about Sounds of the Lambs. Yep. They never say Silence of the Lambs in that movie, right? Um, they they have the conversation about the lambs, and then she he runs says, off with one. Yeah, no, I don't he, think so. He says, I hope the lambs stop screaming for you, Clarice. And it's yeah. about the screaming of the lambs. Is all they, never, so they never say the Silence of the Lambs, which I think is just a cool little thing I want to point out. That nice work on never saying the stupid title of them. <laughs> but every time when they say, have the screaming of the lambs stopped, in our heads we all hear the Silence of the Lambs. Oh, I get it. And we get to make that connection, which is something that I just thought was very cool about that movie. Last thoughts about Jodie Foster? Any last thoughts for you? I think you, you've you already kind of come around to it, but... Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey. Um, good talking to you. Good talking to you. That's a weird ending.
That's a weird ending. We should just cut it after uh, yeah. you say your thing before yeah. I make that last comment about the screaming of the lambs. <laughs> we'll find the spot. Here, I'll give, you something, I'll give you something to throw in there instead, okay? Okay. okay here we go. Uh-huh. Well, Steve, as always, talking to you is like uh, you are the Jodie Foster of this podcast because you don't do anything remarkable, but you make it great. <laughs> That's... <laughs> are you the Matthew McConaughey of the podcast? No! I am. I'm the Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Better ending. <laughs> uh, I insult you, and you insult me back even worse. <laughs>